Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Today we have a special guest, which I've wanted to have on the show for a long time. It's probably one of the most well-known Latvian journalists. Well, Latvian-American. He's from Chicago. Also, go Red Sox. I'm legally obliged to, to follow the Boston team. I'm, I'm sorry, Carlos. But here you have Carlos Streps, one of the most prominent Latvian journalists of all time, and unashamedly homosexual and he's been open about this and has suffered a lot of persecution for this as well but he's such a latvian cultural icon that even in our conservative society he's one of the most accepted members ever oh and also he comments on all of our eurovision shows which i remember him from that was the first time i heard him actually so uh, hi carlis and i hope i gave you a good introduction Yes, uh, I haven't done Eurovision now for 10 years. I think 2011 was the last time I, I did that. Uh, secondly, I'm 62, so I'm used to being, you know, I haven't really been persecuted in Latvia. That That's not really true. Well, I, I remember the time when you were still yelling at people in the radio who called you with stupid questions. Yeah, I did. You did perfectly right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand this. The Latvia still, the politicians claim that if you allow two men to get married, that will somehow destroy heterosexual marriages. I, I wish I could tell them to go, you know, go to the Netherlands. See if you can find one heterosexual marriage which has been destroyed because they've had gay marriage since the 1990s. Go to the United States. Any marriage there fell apart because the Supreme Court ruled that uh, marriage is permissible. And the worst thing about this is that our constitutional court told our government that it must pass a civil partnership law. The European Court of Human Rights has now ruled that our government has to pass a civil partnership law. And those fucking MPs can't even get to that point, not even to a discussion, not even to a debate. What, where, where theoretically, at least, they could talk it out and, and, and the stupid people could make their stupid arguments and hopefully let everybody understand how stupid they are. Wait, wait. So, so, so you mean to say that uh, gay marriage will not destroy Latvian society as a whole? 
Wow, such miracles. <laughs> I mean, Latvian society has got gone through such a lot of stuff over the course of the millennia. I mean, there was the Black Plague, and there were the German barons, and there were two world wars, and there were 50 years of Soviet occupation. The Latvians made it through all of that, and you're now going to tell me that giving human rights to, to LGBTQ people is what's going to put an end to the Latvian people? Give me a break. That's that's my point exactly, because, you know, I've been making this show for eight years now. I've been explaining what's going on here, what's happened in the post-Soviet sphere. And, you know, we take pride in this toughness and everything. And at the same time, yeah, watching our politicians just being weak and cowards is just baffling to me. How in the same time they can say that they take pride in Latvian traditions. Well, it's also just a lie. As another thing that uh, is an important part of history of Latvia is anarchists and bomb throwers, rebels. And that's also just silenced down. Latvians get their back up. I mean, they burned almost all of the German mansions back during the 1905 revolution. They said enough. Um, in 1918, nobody thought that Latvia could be independent when they declared independence, and they had to fight a two-year war before they really got their independence. You know, when Latvians get their back up, they can, they can get stuff done. But, I mean, it's, a, it's this very traditional society. It's a rural-based society. That's what Latvians think of themselves as, you know, living in the countryside. And, and you're, you, you grow up on the farm and you help with the farm work. And then you get married to your girlfriend and you have 73 children. And then they take over the farm and blah, 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 blah. That's sort of the ethos of the, of the Latvian people. Well, I, I grew up in the countryside. But that's a special countryside. That's Latgala. That's Ludza. We have, we're, we're Latvian Texas, basically. We have guns. <laughs> you have guns, and you voted, Ludza voted for uh, all the pro Russian parties in the last parliamentary election. If, that is a shame. Yeah, if only Ludza had voted, we would have the Latvian Russian associations, that stability thing, and Saskanya having a majority. That sadly is true. Yep. But. You know, it is what it is. You have to try to understand that Latgala hates Riga because they're they're telling us what to do. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Complex issue. As to the countryside, I have always said that there is one good thing that you can say about the countryside, and that is that you can return to the city from it, preferably immediately. I grew up in Chicago, which has more people than the three Baltic states put together. I am not a country boy. And you also have higher crime rate and murders. Well... You know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, it's a trade-off. It's a trade-off. <laughs> uh, I, I would suspect we have less alcoholism. Oh yeah, that definitely. I mean, the United States kind of struck me as odd because I've visited a couple of times, and everyone's like so freedom-loving and everything, except then you're also super prude because nipples are a no-no, and you can't drink beer on the street. Well, you can't drink beer on the street in Latvia either. Legally, you can't. Yeah. But 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 like unless you're stupid about it and do a mess, find me a cop that's going to stop you with an open beer bottle or something. In America, the, this party, which is theoretically about small government, it, it has always been about small government. It is the party which is putting women back into the 1950s. It's not just the Supreme Court ruling to overturn 50 years of precedence on abortion rights. A judge sometime in the next couple of days is expected to ban sale of abortion pills all what? over America. What? 
I did not know this one. I didn't know that there were abortion pills, um, that you can take it instead of going to the doctor to have an operation, you can take a pill and that <clears throat> that does the same thing. I think it's the, the morning after pill that kind of you can take. No, that's a different thing. That's that's oh. to keep yourself from getting pregnant in the first place. I don't remember what the drug is called, but it was uh, released in 1980. It is uh, an essential drug on the World Health Organization list of essential drugs. And the Republicans who oppose a woman's right to choose went shopping for a judge where they knew that this guy is probably going to ban it. It's a, it's a Trump-appointed judge. He has been an anti-abortion activist for years and years and years and years. And um, the American system is set up so that one judge in Texas can ban this medication all across America. Now, if he does, that it's going to be appealed. There's going to be an injunction. Um, it may go to the Supreme Court, and that may be a step too far even for the Supreme Court. But I mean, this is this is the party which which wants small government in Florida. Um, Governor De Satan, as I call him, um, is spending this legislative session telling high schools that they are not allowed to teach American history if they talk about racism and slavery. They are not allowed to talk about these things. They have told the entire education system that they are not allowed to talk about human sexuality at all. Um, that he has banned an advanced placement African-American studies course for high schools. I mean, it is racism. It is homophobia. It is just plain bigotry. And how these people get any votes at all is just completely beyond me. And on the abortion issue, I mean, show me a country in Europe, well, Poland maybe, which which is, you know, the, the, the old men with the loose hands run, run Poland. But where else in the world do you take a simple medical issue and turn it into a political football? About Poland, by the way, the current Polish government is not the worst that they could get. They literally have a party there which wants women out of the workforce. Yeah, I mean, that's the Roman Catholic Church, you know, the, 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 the church which somehow has forgotten that the central message in Scripture is love one another. Yeah, but, you know, Poland also does good things. I, I feel I feel really hard to criticize Poland too much because of the current situation of the planet and their actually doing a good job with that, at least. Sending MiGs to Ukraine, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I also kind of thought they would be like more in um, Viktor Orban's camp, which is a piece of shit. Uh, and, but they chose not to. And that was a surprise because also in Italy, they have like a neo-fascist leader there, that lady that elected. And she also has continued to support for Ukraine. So I guess that's another loss for Putin. Yeah. I mean, in America, the, the Trump has started to talk about um, how America has no business uh, being in Ukraine. And Governor DeSatan in Florida um, called the situation in Ukraine a territorial dispute between Russia and Ukraine. Um, but they are the small minority. The, the Republican establishment is still very firm on opposing Russia and, and not allowing it to take over. See, this is the thing with my show. From, from American listenership, I have about 30% Democrats, 30% Republicans, and 40% Libertarians, because I was on Tom Woods' show, and, uh, and also Political Orphanage and other bigger Libertarian podcasts. So I, I can allow myself to be... Uh, a bit of an asshole towards both parties. Well, I'll be an asshole just towards one party. Republicans, if you are still a Republican after everything that Trump has done over the past four years and what your party is doing now, fuck you. 
Oh, that's harsh, but uh, hey, this is Eastern border. You can say what you want. It's fine. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at crazy people in Europe, there's that guy in Turkey who is is blocking Sweden from joining NATO because he's upset that Sweden supports the human rights of Kurds. If we live in a world where one jackass can stop something like that, um, something is wrong. Something is wrong with NATO. The OECD, Russia's parliamentarians are still in the parliamentary assembly of the OECD. A couple of weeks ago, the chairman of Latvia's Foreign Relation Committee was there and he said uh, something to the effect of, you know, if you want me to point my finger at murderers, there they are sitting at the back room. And then he said, I would like to tell them what the defenders of Snake Island told the warship. And then he said in, in Russian, the equivalent of fuck you. Yeah, the, the, the exact phrase was Ruski Vienny Krabel Pashonahwe. That's right. I don't speak Russian, so I know, I do. Therefore I <laughs> it was my it was my duty to repeat it. I'm trying to explain to Americans this whole war thing and why it matters. My, one of my arguments is the fact that the Baltic states in general, we, we're the only project of United States foreign policy that has worked. Like the United States want to export democracy, right? Yeah. And they've done it here. We literally listened to Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty, went to the protests, collapsed the Soviet Union, and here we are. Yeah. If, if, if the United States want to brag about exporting democracy, why not defend Eastern Europe, the, the remnants of the Soviet Union, like the collapse and everything? Because this is where it actually worked. Unlike Iraq, unlike Afghanistan, here it took root. So when people ask me, why should we care about the Baltics? Well, that's your only foreign political success. Well, okay, not only the only one, but there's also Japan and Korea, but, but still it's pretty important. I personally wouldn't give that much credit to the United States. Um, for, for one thing, the, the collapse of the Soviet Union caught the United States completely by surprise. The CIA, the NSA, everybody, the, the, the collapse of the Soviet Union was so sudden after the putsch that America was in hysterical confusion for about two weeks. And the result was that something like 70 different countries recognized Latvia's restored independence before Washington did. That's, that's interesting because I am listened in Langley. I did not know it was important, but then people told me. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm also being accused of being a CIA stooge. Oh. That, that comes from people who think CIA is actually competent. I've been accused of being a CIA person, an FBI person, and a KGB person. Well, I think, I think people have learned in these days that FBI only works in the United States. So I'm only CIA and KGB stooge at the same time. There we go. Yeah. It's, it's nice to talk to with another member of the nice organizations. <laughs> yes, good to talk to you too, comrade. <laughs> I, I sometimes have to put on my thick Russian accent and make it funny because I talk about sad stuff. Talking about disasters and terrible stuff. What do you think about the whole uh, Russophobia speech in United Nations by Russia? Russia has always had this very unique combination of, at the same time, having delusions of grandeur and having an insane inferiority complex. 
On the one hand, we are powerful, we have the nukes, we, we have our, our rights in Eastern Europe, but on the other hand, everybody's against us. Poor, poor us. Everybody's conspiring against poor little Russia. It is ludicrous. And the United Nations, I mean, if Russia has a veto in the Security Council, that means that there is a murderer who is serving as his own judge, and that is all kinds of wrong. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just reading on the United Nations, uh, kind of this whole security briefing, and the United States mission to the United Nations posted a response to this. Some quotes from this is gr just great, that, um, um, quote, the United States welcomes serious discussions into the detrimental impacts of hate speech and harmful rhetoric. We regret that this meeting is a missed opportunity to do so. The Russian delegation called this meeting today by claiming Russophobia is, and I quote, one of the most gruesome and repulsing aspects of the Ukrainian crisis. Are we to take this statement seriously as Russian missiles raid down in Ukrainian cities and kill civilians? End quote. That would be like, like Hitler complaining about Nazi-phobia. It's exactly that, and... Um, that's the worst part, because I was banned from Twitter and I had to make a new account for that, because um, some people really didn't understand why I got angry at them for, well, <laughs> calling me a liar. And this is, this is, I guess, a part of journalism, because when you're there and when you see things and they impact you in a certain way, because you can't cover anything without being touched by it yourself. And then the first reaction in these days is being called a liar and a sham and sellout. Yeah, 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 yeah. Twitter let you set up a second account? I did the same thing. My IP address is banned for life on Twitter. Oh, no, I had a personal account, which I had set up four years previously before my podcast account. So technically, I did not set up a new account. I just changed the name of my old one. Yeah, I mean, I, I went on Twitter with the fake name just to see what was going on. And I can't help myself. If I see somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene saying something stupid, which is, is inevitable. That's a congresswoman in, in, in America who once said that um, forest fires are caused by Jewish space lasers. This, this woman is just absolutely nuts. And I tend to tell them exactly what I think, and then I get banned for being rude, and then I set up another account, and, and blah, blah, blah. I don't, I don't really care. I'm not a person who is particularly interested in expressing my thoughts in 100 characters or less, or whatever it is there. And I know that um, Elon Musk has basically destroyed Twitter now, so I'm, I'm all good with that. Yeah, but it still is a pretty important social media. That again, it's interesting how in these days we, we have to focus on social media. Like, I'm a member of the NAFO movement, donated the Georgia Legion. Well, I also donations to my A happened, and then I got one of the funny dogs. And I just find it funny that random memes with funny dogs basically destroyed Russian troll farms on the internet. And I have to ask you another question about the Russian war. What do you think of the whole pro-war movement in Russia, like the guys who are criticizing Putin, like my best nemesis, Igor Girkin, who are very pro-war, yet they're anti-Putin, the very ultra-nationalists. They have a stance there, and they're you know, showing political ambition. Yeah. I, for one, believe that Russia will fall apart in this war, but maybe there's a chance of these people taking power. What do you see of, of this far-right movement in Russia and the future of Russia in general? Well, the first thing that needs to happen is that Putin needs to kick the fuck off. He needs to die. 
and then we'll see what happens next. I personally think what will happen then will be a military coup uh, for the military to take over until civil society figures out what to do next. As I said, Russia has always had delusions of grandeur, and so have Russian people. Russians and Americans are very, very similar in the sense that, for the most part, they only speak their own language and no other, and they believe that they are the saviors of the world. Um, they are wrong in both cases. I don't know what will happen. I, the, the fact that I don't speak Russian means that I don't have an ability to really look at what they are saying and what they're going into. Um, but. I mean, the poor Russian people, they have never in the history of the millennia really lived in a normal country. They, they lived with the tribes, they lived with the Mongols, they lived with the Tatars, they lived with the Tsars. As soon as the Tsars were gone, the Bolsheviks took over. As soon as the Bolsheviks took over, there was 10 years of a fat alcoholic who didn't know what he was doing and then turned the whole thing over to a neo-Stalinist. Um, the Russian people have never had a chance, really, to, to be a normal country. Well, this is why my podcast is there. Yeah, I literally, I'm trying to explain all the things that, that you've been telling like in this conversation. And that's also the saddest moment of my show, what I went on the Martyr Made podcast, which is pretty huge. It exploded with uh, topics about Israeli situation with Palestine and everything. And uh, sadly, in this case, my friend Daryl Cooper has picked a very pro-Russian position, so to speak. And I went on his show early in the war. And uh, yeah, when I told him that, yeah, Putin comes from the position of lies and Russia is a country that is run by, by Panyatia, the, the Russian Bratva laws, the Russian organized crime, and that they lie and cheat and that making honest deals is dishonorable. Well, he just told me that uh, that's unbelievable. No country can be run by criminals and on pure lies. And then I told him he does not know Russia. The same happened when, uh, you know, uh, Western perceived Russian experts. I have a one question to them always. I, I always ask anyone who calls himself a Russian expert from the West, does he know the difference between the red and the black prison? In normal cases, you know, if you call yourself a Russian expert, you should know that red prison is run by the administration, while black prison is run by the organized crime. It's kind of in the culture. And you should know. If you can't answer that to me, then, yeah, I don't trust your opinion. <laughs> I think that all that any American needs to know about Russia is the fact that it is currently illegal to protest even by yourself. Even if you go out with a blank sheet of paper, you're going to be arrested and tossed in jail. That's all an American needs to know. Well, <laughs> there are funny cases of this because they tried various papers of it. They even like didn't even write anything on it. They even pretended to just have a blank paper. At all times, everyone's arrested. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a regime that absolutely does not have a sense of humor. That's, that's the long and the short of it. Yeah, but the question, by the way, which people have asked me is uh, about the Dodge in Latvia, that TV channel. I, I personally think that they made a lot of mistakes, but that the harsh reaction of our uh, highly intelligent, in air quotes, politicians was a bit over. over reaction and a bit too much. What do you think about the situation? Well, the, the, the government told Dodge very clearly what it needed to do if it was going to operate out of Latvia. And one of the things that they were told that they had to do was put Latvian subtitles under their show. 
They never did that. Uh, I personally think that one journalist putting up a map in which Crimea is seen as part of Russia is not reason to ban a television channel. To a certain extent, Latvians have gotten hysterical over this thing. There's this sense that Latvians have decided that every single Ukrainian is a good person. Every single Ukrainian refugee is a good person. And on the flip side, every single Russian is awful and terrible, and, and we, we don't want anything to do with him. And, and we're seeing this now in this um, situation with the monuments. It was clear that the, the occupation monument had to go, the, the one that was called the Monument to the Liberation of Riga by the Soviet Union, blah, 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 blah. That had to go. Um, just like when Latvia first became independent, the first thing to happen was that the Lenin Monument was taken down and carried away. Um, but now we've, we're getting into this big discussion about, um, for example, Pushkin. Alexander Pushkin, the, the 19th century writer, um, because he was, you know, supposedly imperialist. And so his... And he was also black, by the way. I know. And, and he needs to he needs to go. The, I mean, the guy lived in the Russian Empire. What was he supposed to be if not a, a, a representative of the empire? You know, trying to retroactively put the sins of Vladimir Putin onto every Russian throughout history is rather ludicrous. I mean, I, I'm personally not going to stop listening to Tchaikovsky's music just because um, the fascist at the Kremlin has, has, has committed genocide in also, Ukraine. Also, interestingly enough, Pushkin was a Russian empire, as you said, by juridical standards modern Russia has nothing to do with the Russian Empire. They are a successor of the Soviet state. And Soviets very firmly announced themselves to have no ties with Tsarist Russia, because otherwise they would have to pay all the debts of Tsarist Russia. So Soviet Union was technically a completely new state. And this current Russia is a successor of that instead of the Tsarist Russia. So any Tsarist Russia remembrance Nothing to do with modern-day Russia. Just important things. Putin, Putin declared years ago that the collapse of the Soviet Union was the greatest um, geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. You know, not World War I, not World War II, not the Soviet Union's disastrous war in, in Afghanistan, but the collapse of the Yeah, that's true. I mean, this guy is an unreconstructed KGB agent from Eastern Germany, and that's all he'll ever be. There is a saying that there is no such thing as an ex-KGB agent. Exactly. And this is the thing. And like, and if I say things that you know, I'm telling those to listeners. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this is just kind of weird. I'm afraid also what happens if Russia fall, falls apart because of this situation. Because, for example, Ramzan Kadyrov will just leave any government whatsoever with any democratical notions even. So, eh? And otherwise, Russia is going to just turn into a world's largest North Korea. I, I've always thought that Russia is simply too big to be allowed. Um, and there is nothing that people in, in Petrograd have in common with people in Vladivostok other than the fact that they are in the same, in the same country. Well, they are the world's largest colonial empire, except land-based. It's literally a colonial empire. They have metropolis, they have colonies. Done. The sad thing is that Putin has decided that he wants to recreate the Soviet Union sort of one square kilometer at a time. You know, it was first it was Transnistria um, taken away from Moldova and recognized as independent. Then it was South Ossetia and um, 
Abkhazia taken away from Georgia. Then it was Crimea taken away from Ukraine. Then it is um, the Lugansk and Donetsk being declared as independent countries. I mean, this is silly. This is a country that stretches from the Baltic Sea to the Pacific Ocean, and it has gained territory of what, like 30,000 square kilometers, 3,000 square kilometers, 5,000 square kilometers. Yay! What an, what an accomplishment. Yeah, it's not like that they have issues with population and that they are have already all the resources they would ever need. But I think it's because, you know, they have to show something to the populace. They are conquering things and all this stuff. And also, I love the argument that we're fighting now invaded Ukraine because they wanted to attack us. Yeah, explain to me how non-nuclear Ukraine would attack nuclear Russia. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And, and do anything of that sort. It just makes no sense. Early in the war, we saw that column of vehicles coming towards Kiev from Belarus, and it had to stop because evidently it hadn't occurred to anybody that tanks need fuel, and then when tanks run out of fuel, they need more fuel. So it sat there for like like a month, and the, the Ukrainians picked it off. But one of the things that was reported was that the, those poor soldiers were wandering around in villages saying, do you know any place where we can fuel up our tank, number one? And number two, where are the Nazis we're supposed to be hunting? Well, that stuff happens. In a sense, my favorite story from the war is the grandma that, that bought, uh, like, that baked a pierogi laced with arsenic and gave them to Russian soldiers. I mean, it kind of shows how, for Ukrainians, this is truly something that everyone's doing their part, basically. Yeah, there was the lady who threw the jar of of tomatoes at the drone. There was the lady who walked up to a soldier and gave him some sunflower seeds and said, when you die, at least some flowers will grow. I mean, this is, to me, this is the astonishing thing. That, first of all, that a television comedian managed to reinvent himself as a war leader and an enormously effective and perfect war leader. But more to the point that every single Ukrainian said, okay, we're going to be attacked. Tell me what I can do. You know, at this point, I I also see the purpose of Bahmut and defense and everything, because lately war exhaustion has is setting in. The people who want to volunteer, they're drying up just because... Well, it's war exhaustion. You can't fight all the time. So I really, well, at least on this show, I try to promote, because I know some of you important people listen to this, that there is more equipment sent to Ukraine since, well, it's not that large a country in comparison to Russia. 
so I, I really hope that more HIMARS go the right direction and that, well, we finally end this at some point. But send the fucking F-16s, America. Send the F-16s. Send them everything that they need. Because the bottom line is Putin cannot be allowed to win this war. That's the long and the short of it. Because if he does, then he's going to start looking in other directions. Um, the, the Ukrainians need to be given everything but... The, the truth is that, first of all, several million men of draft age have fled Russia and are living somewhere else now. Um, a substantial portion of them in Georgia, which is dangerous for Georgia, but they've run. Uh, Russia is having a depopulation. Russia's population is declining year by year by year by year. And, um, uh, you know, to me, the question is, at what point will there be a sufficient number of mothers whose sons have been slaughtered in Ukraine, in the, this stupid war, to rise up and say no more. It's well over a hundred thousand Russians who have been uh, who have been killed in in Ukraine. And I said on a television show here in in Latvia um, a couple of months ago that I feel sorry for those guys. I mean, they are they are dragged out of Buryatia or wherever. They are sent to Ukraine with no equipment, no uniforms, no nothing, no instructions. And the Ukrainians are there waiting for them, and they just basically mow them down. I said, I feel sorry for those guys. Well, you would think that I had farted in public. I, uh, you know, that I am, I am a terrible person for saying something like that. And how could you ever express support for the for the Russians and blah 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 blah? Well, I'm a human being. I am a human being who understands that that war is a disgraceful hell for people who have to fight there. Um, the, the fact that I feel sorry for these kids who are being sent as cannon fodder doesn't mean that I don't support Ukraine wholeheartedly in its fight to preserve its own country. Yeah, but the cannon fodder in Russia, it's a dictatorship, basically. Stalin did the same thing during World War II. Exactly, exactly. I, I've just, you know, seeing the war firsthand, there is no glory in war. There's death and misery and just pain and anger and everything. I mean, as much as I like Teddy Roosevelt, his optimistic views on warfare are, well, misguided. Teddy Roosevelt was active at a time when there were no nuclear weapons, for one thing. You know, the, the Western world really has come together in a, in a remarkable way, it seems to me, to, to support Ukraine. Um, but there have been some kinks. Do you know why the, the Academy Awards people um, did not allow um, Zelensky to address the Oscars? No, sadly I don't. It's because everybody involved in the conflict in, in uh, Ukraine is white, and that might be offensive to black people in America. But the ceremony is viewed by much more people than America. Yeah, but that's what they said. And there are black people fighting for Ukraine in America. Yeah, the, yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the funniest part, because um, Russian propaganda uses literally the amount of black people killed to show that there are NATO mercenaries. Yeah. Although, and, they, and they just extend the number of, like a bet. Yeah. Hello there, and thanks for listening to another episode of The Eastern Border. Dear Patreons, thank you more than ever for supporting our show. Your donations are crucial to keep us going and right now all of your money is going to securing good information for you and to fund Kristov's actual real-life mission to Ukraine to report to you live about the war that is going on there. Also, we would like to use this opportunity to urge you to donate to other organizations that are helping people escape Ukraine safely and to defend the country for those who decide to stay 
on the ground. One such organization we would like to highlight is the Defending Ukraine Together Come Back Alive movement. Launched in 2014, the Come Back Alive became the biggest organization providing support to the armed forces of Ukraine. You can donate directly from their webpage comebackalive.in.ua. Remember that no donation is too small. In this situation, every dollar matters, every cent matters. If you're uncomfortable with giving money to war, they do have a position on their website that they are providing Ukrainian army with laptops, lights, photo equipment, cables, and is not purely military. Perhaps that might change your mind, but remember you can also donate to strictly humanitarian organizations such as the Red Cross and others that are helping people escape Ukraine safely. Please also keep following us on social media for all of your latest updates on Eastern Border on places like Twitter and Facebook. Keep listening, keep yourself informed. That's all from me now. See you online. And back after a short interruption by feline animals. Yeah, naughty cat. By the way, if we're, if we're talking about hysteria in Latvia about this, there was this thing last week where um, the government decided to stop funding for three athletes because they compete in sports where Russians and Belarusians are still allowed to um, take part. Um, this was ludicrous because, I mean, Alona Stepanenko does not set policy for women's tennis. Um, she has nothing to do with that. And uh, so they gave the money back. But that's an example of, of sort of overreacting. Yeah. And in the most cases, the athletes, they, they can't even know who's competing in a competition. Like th- there is no pre-list there. They can just go to a tournament and there might be some neutral sportsman athletes there. And, and then they just lose the funding. That said, there are no organizations in the world that are more venal than international sports organizations. I mean, FIFA has been corrupt as the day is long forever. The idea of putting the, the World Cup in, 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 in Qatar or wherever it was just, just now and having to do it in November because when it's usually held, it's 60 degrees outside there. Um, the Olympic, the International Olympic Committee saying that uh, they're thinking that probably the, the um, Russians and Belarusians should be allowed to compete at Paris next year. These, these organizations are just awful. Well, it pains me to say, but I'm a soccer fan. Uh, and Qatar World Cup was interesting, to say the least. But that again... There were some big-ass upsets, weren't there? Who beat Brazil? I, I don't remember. Uh, I think it was Japan. Yeah, or something like that. Biggest upsets were Morocco and and Japan, yeah. Japan lost to Croatia, but Morocco went really far. I personally am not interested in a sport where you see for 90 minutes men are running up and down and up and down a field and something interesting happens maybe twice. Well, dude, I would, I would kind of think you'd be more interested in soccer. I mean, think about it. <laughs> No, I mean, they, they look cute in their shorts, but that, that's the thing. That, that said, I am a, an, an enormous fan of the Chicago Cubs baseball team, and Europeans don't understand baseball. I have the lucky thing that in one of my visits to the United States, I was sat down for about three hours, and I was forced to learn everything that is to know about baseball. I did that with my brother-in-law. My sister married a guy from Latvia, and um, we took him to a baseball game, the Chicago Cubs. And within like three innings, he knew basically what was going on. You just need to watch. 
Um, on the flip side, as an American, I don't have the slightest idea of what cricket is, other than that I understand that it's a game that takes three days to complete. I have Australian listeners. They also, when they heard that I know about baseball, I was also put on the same regiment and explained what cricket is. I have played a single game in Latvian national cricket team because it exists, for one. It, it consists of only Pakistani and Indian migrants, and they played against Estonia. But apparently there's a rule that you have to have a person who's born and raised in Latvia, basically a native-born Latvian, and their guy was ill, and they listened to my show, and they called me up, so I threw the ball once, and was it the bat thingy once? And then they told me just to go and leave because I don't know anything. I think it's called pitching. Um, back in the day, um, there used to be a baseball league here in Latvia uh, at the university level. Wait, and once, once a year, they would play a charity game where it would be the Latvian baseball team on one side and then Americans who are Americans and Canadians who live in Latvia on the other team, you know, like guards from the embassy and people like that. And the score was always like 63 to 37 because they knew how to hit, but they were bad at fielding and catching and stuff. For Europeans, um, a normal score in baseball is like three to two or, or eight to four or something like that. Um, that Those were fairly chaotic games, but they invited me a couple of times to sit in the stands and sort of call the game. That was really nice. Wow, I, I didn't even know we had this. I only managed to go to um, a random baseball game, which apparently happened at Sundays, where people who are like expats take their kids to play baseball, and that's next to the Faculty of Social Sciences, basically, behind that building. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's building. a field out there. And, and what they play is not really baseball. They play softball. What's the difference? Um, it's a bigger ball. And it's okay. thrown underhand rather than overhand. But when the, the baseball league, they played real baseball. They played overhand, fast pitch, and they went to the European Championships and ended up dead last. Yay. <laughs> well, you know, it's not really a thing. I, I know that they, they, some people play American football here as well, which is confusing to me because to me, American football is kind of like rugby except with, with armor and everything. Yeah. I, the problem with football is that, that lots and lots and lots of guys who play football end up with brain injuries because they're forever banging into one another on with their helmets. And um, that's a very sad thing. You know that. But then again, we live in a hockey culture here. Being a soccer fan or anything fan that's not exactly hockey is means you're going to have a sad time. <laughs> Yeah. And of course, the winter sports, the luge and skeleton, you know, those people, they've done very, very well um, over the past uh, 10 years. We used to be a per fairly substantial powerhouse in biathlon. But the main thing that I always say about sports in Latvia is once every four years, Latvia goes to the Olympics. The Paralympic team comes back with way more medals than the so-called healthy athletes ever do. There's a guy called Igor Sapinis who is in a yep. wheelchair and he does shot put and discus and he has like 12 or 13 gold medals from the Olympics. Um, nobody of the so-called healthy athletes is anywhere close to that. Yeah, that's the thing, because in Latvia, we, um, we try not to think about the ugly stuff. They're not as pretty stuff, so to speak. That's one of the biggest issues. I, at one point, I tried to make a show in Latvia and to combat this post-Soviet mentality, as I call it. But... Uh, yeah, had a bit of issues with production. Homo, homo Sovieticus, as, as people have called it. 
yeah, the card to explain this mentality that dominates here to Westerners, because we're we're trying to be very Western, but we're not particularly good at it. Yeah, it's true. But then on the other hand, you know, we have all of our culture. This year is going to be um, once every five years, Latvians throw themselves a big song and dance festival. Zesmosvatki and Deusvatki, as they are called. I, I used to be a big folk dancer in America when I was growing up, and I've been to a couple of, of song festivals in America, and I went to the early song festivals here in Latvia, um, but concluded that uh, when it comes to the big concert at the end, if you've seen one, you've seen them all because the repertoire doesn't really change. And I can't watch folk dancing in Latvia because the, during the Soviet occupation, they completely changed what Latvian folk dancing is. It is more ballet now than it is, is traditional folk dancing. Well, I used to be in one of those one of those collectives when I was a kid, I participated in those dance fests. I was in takes, mind you, run by Janis uh, Erglis, the guy who usually does the choreography for all the dance festivals that was brutal it was more of a sport than an artistic thing because it was tough for a kid to do that it was i i spent a year at the munster latvian high school in germany in the 1970s um it, it was the only school outside of occupied latvia where all classes were taught in latvian and because germans go to school for 13 years what latvians in america and canada and in australia did and elsewhere in europe finished 12 years of high school and then went for one more year um, to, to, to Münster. And the main thing that I learned there is that biology in Latvian is not any more interesting than it is in English, which is to say not interesting at all. But the point is that I, I was given um, leadership of the Münster folk dance group, and I took them to the Boston Song and Dance Festival in 1978 uh, with a dance that I choreographed myself. And we, we took part in the um, competition and got sixth place. But the first five places were, were gotten by a, a man named Zygots Miesitz, who was a legendary choreographer from Toronto, Canada. So I've always thought we were in second place. And then years and years later, I, the song festival was in Chicago when I was there. And I went to the folk dance thing and they danced my dance. Wow, that's that's amazing. Didn't know this fact. I was sitting I was sitting there in the freezing cold auditorium, which was air conditioned to, to half to hell and crying. By the way, a question that's that I was told to ask you because I have a bunch of listeners from from Europe and everything in Australia these days. How did you end up commenting the Eurovision? thing because you you are so, sort of synonymous with it even though you haven't done it for 10 years last year that i watched was 2007 by the way and i voted for lord because i'm a metalhead <laughs> hard rock hallelujah um yeah um they asked me i i mean i was working there i had a show called scott's Nomalis, which was a journalism roundtable and they said would you like to do this and i said sure and it was the year before um, Latvia started to take part the year before Brainstorm went and got third. So that's that's when I started. Talking about Scott Snowmalis, dear listeners, that's one of the reasons why I'm a journalist, because I grew up watching that and also the, the Domburs one, Kasnotek Latvia. These two shows basically pointed me at my direction where I'm now. So thank you, Mr. Stripes. <laughs> yeah. The problem with Dombo's show was you cannot 
interview 11 people at once. That's that He always had a huge number of people for that hour-long show. And that means that two people are going to talk a lot and most of the other people aren't going to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's true. I, I recently had like two people instead of one and it was a bit of a mess they had a lot of fun though yeah <laughs> also in, in general in post its fear the whole journalistic tradition is almost non-existent we have diana but that's nowhere even near the level of like the impact that i guess new york times have or washington post or stuff like that just the same as with the republican tradition in the sense of voting and everything we still have like a lot to learn and everything because of the post-Swiss mentality. Vienna used to be a very serious newspaper and a very good newspaper, and then there was sort of a coup and a bunch of oligarchs bought it, and, and since then, Vienna has been nothing special. To me, um, the professional journalism outlets now are the magazine IR, um, the two investigative shows on TV3 and, and TV whatever, uh, De Facto and Neka Personiga, and uh, the investigative journalism organization De Baltica. Uh, other than that, um, I mean, newspapers are dying. Newspapers are dying all over the world. Uh, if you look at the Internet, um, you know, Delphi does a lot of independent reporting and, and analysis, but the Internet is a sparkly kind of thing. The, the Internet is more about visuals and clicks than it is about serious content. And uh, so, so that's a problem. Yeah, I know that firsthand because, well, although I'm pretty big, I could be way bigger if I would, you know, do some clickbaity stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to people who don't know, Mr. Stripes here runs uh, something like a John Oliver situation, I suppose. You have your late evening show. Yeah, it was supposed to be a, a John Oliver show. Um, there are two problems with that. One is I'm not John Oliver. Um, second, I don't have 50 people writing jokes for me for the show uh, like he does. And third thing is that I often discuss topics that don't really lend themselves to comedy. Um, I know that John Oliver can take any topic whatsoever and make it funny. Um, I can't. You, that's still a pretty good show. I mean, I watch it. Yeah, I enjoy doing it. It's, it's better than just the usual Latvian, let's cry about everything and pretend problems don't exist. Yeah, this evening I'm going to be discussing um, the fact that in 1991 today there was the referendum on, on preserving the Soviet Union um, in a new way here in Latvia. But what I could start with was that also today in 1991, the Latvian rock band Otis was in Washington, D.C., and so was I. And um, the rock band Otis the night before, uh, performed at a bar in Washington where they were spotted by a producer from Black Entertainment Television who liked what they were doing. They were white boys from Latvia, but they were singing funk and blues. And so they were invited the next day to come to Black Entertainment Television and take part in a program that was um, hosted by the jazz pianist um, Ramsey Lewis. I was taken along as a translator, and the set there was sort of like a cafe with tables and then a little stage. And um, on one side of the seats were taken by staff at Black Entertainment Television, and the other side was taken by everybody who worked at the American Latvian Association and the World Federation of Free Latvians, where I was working. So I took all of them along. And um, it started with an interview. Ramsey Lewis wanted to interview Agnes Mednis, who was the um, lead singer of the group. 
And he said, first of all, what does Otis mean? And I said, it stands for Ogre Experimental Gardening Station, which is what it was. Because that was their sponsor back in the 1980s when they were set up. And there was a pause. And then Ramsey Lewis said, okay, let's listen to some music now. <laughs> okay, thank you for this one. I did not know <laughs> Uh, by the way, I often have Americans coming to visit. I, I have actually dug my way through and bought all these Ogre memorial pins with Lenin's head on it. It just says Ogre around it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Ogre, Ogre is, a, is, a, is a nice name for a town where, where English-speaking people read it as Ogre. Yep, and it's amazing. Yeah. I'm really glad we, had, we could move this conversation in more positive topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, besides all the war and the press shit. I know, I know you want to talk mostly about politics, so go ahead. To, to kind of finish this one off, um, how, how do you think, how long this war will go, and what would be your ideal solution, like ideal ending? How do you see Russia in the future, Ukraine in the future, and the whole place of Europe of them? I am hoping that the world gives Ukraine enough assistance to win. Um, people have been saying, and this is very true, so far the world has given Ukraine enough to hang on, um, but not enough to win. So it needs to get the HIMARS, it needs to get the fighter jets, it needs to get, uh, get all of these things. Um, ideally, uh, Ukraine will get Russia out of its territory entirely. Um, I don't know about Crimea. Crimea is a, is a special, it is a separate issue because it is true that Crimea used to be a part of Russia and then in the 1950s, Khrushchev gave it to, to Ukraine. So that's, that's, that's a different issue. But Eastern Ukrainian lands where the Russians have been marauding now for eight years, um, that needs to stop. They need to be kicked out of there. Um, and, and from there, what is going to be important is what the world does to Russia once this, the war is over, because people are going to need to be um, held to account. The International Criminal Court is, is already preparing to file charges against people. And as far as I'm concerned, every time Ukraine captures a Russian soldier, that soldier needs to be sent straight to The Hague. Start low, start with the beginning, and work yourself up like the investigators in America right now started low with the January 6th um, insurrection and are working their way slowly towards Donald Trump himself. Well, that's a bit rough, but uh, I expected nothing less of you. So thank you, Mr. Trebs, for being on our show. And well, it was really nice to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problems. I will be sure to definitely message you at a future date as well. Might even get you and your discussion on the same episode. I'll be happy to come back anytime, comrade. Ah, and thank you, comrade. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Border Show. If you have any questions or comments, go to our website, theeasternborder.lv, and leave a comment there. Or email us at theeasternborder at gmail.com. We'll be sure to answer. You can also follow us on social media and contact us there. If you enjoyed this episode, then leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about us. It really helps us grow the show. And remember, happiness is mandatory.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.